this week I've, I've been hearing just really amazing stories, testimonies of God, God moving in uh, what seem to be hopeless situations. God bringing miraculous transformation, bringing restoration and salvation. Life, joy, peace and hope. Look around, look around. Among us today are walking miracles. They're right next to you. Right next to you. People, everyday people with incredible stories. Transform people, transform communities is this vision statement that we've, we've held on to for quite a few years at this church. But how does that happen? How, does, how, do, how are people transformed and how do transform people transform communities? I like case studies. I think you can learn a lot. So let's do a case study this morning. There was this guy who grew up in a really dysfunctional family. So dysfunctional. They lived in a society that was really different from ours, uh, really different from Wellington. Uh, it was in the Middle East. This guy, he had two dads. No, he didn't. He had one dad. He had two mums. How many people here have got two mums? Some of you might. And uh, so his dad had two wives, and, and one of his dad loved one wife more than the other wife. Right? So the wives competed. This is not a good situation. If, if you are here and you've got two wives, and you love one more than the other, uh, well, there's other things we talk about, but that's not a good situation. <laughs> Probably you need to move to Utah, I'd say, suggest. <laughs> So not a good situation, and, the, and so the two wives, they competed with each other to earn, to earn the love from the husband, and the way they did this was by trying to have more sons. They had a, a son off. <laughs> yeah, they don't think that really worked. They had a competition to see who could produce the most sons. So, uh, so they had a lot of sons, and not a great dynamic, right? And the dysfun- this dysfunction uh, spread to the sons. Uh, who also competed with each other. The father had a favorite son. What is going on with this father? You had a favorite wife, now you've got a favorite son. And, and the brothers, because there was this intense dysfunction, uh, they hated this brother intensely. They hated this guy. And then the favorite son, the one that was hated by his brothers, he had these dreams. And the dreams uh, essentially meant or indicated that his whole family was going to submit to him. They were going to bow down to him. So the, the brothers weren't too impressed. Uh, they hated him, hated him even more. They hated him so much that they, they talked about murdering him. It's tough being the favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know if Nicholas and Anna have ever thought about murdering me. <laughs> don't even answer that question. So, so these brothers, they didn't murder him. Instead, they, they sold him into slavery, which is not good either. Horrendous, actually. And then they go, go, back, to their, go back to their old man and they say, Dad, um, your favorite son, well, he's dead. Here's his, here's his bloody cloak. And he goes, he's dead. He's... Imagine that, though. Hey, your family hates you so much that they uh, are considering murdering you. And then they don't murder you, but they sell you into slavery. Um, 
unbelievable, horrific. So they sold him into slavery, and the slave traders uh, trafficked him into Egypt. And they sold him to an Egyptian official who had the really common name of Potiphar. But the Lord was with Joseph. So you probably already guessed that I've been talking about Joseph. This guy, incredible man, lived uh, 4,000 years ago. And his story is in the book of Genesis. Some of us, we've grown up here in the story of Joseph, and we know all about his technicolor dream coat and stuff like that. But we forget about how horrendous and hopeless his situation really was. He was only 17 years old when he, was, when he had the dreams um, that led to him being sold into slavery by his brothers. But over and over again, there's this phrase in Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph. In Genesis, in Genesis 39, Verse 2, verse 3, 21, 23, these hopeless situations. The Lord was with Joseph. So the slave traders sold him to Potiphar. And I don't know what kind of job slaves did, but they probably weren't the jobs that other people wanted to do. They are probably the, the lowest job, the stinkest jobs, the jobs that no one else wanted. But somehow Joseph did these jobs so well, and the Lord was with him, and he did it so successfully that, that, um, that eventually Potiphar uh, took Joseph from doing the stinkest jobs in the house to actually being uh, responsible for everything in the house um, under, under Potiphar. That's all good. And then right when things were looking okay, looking on the up, then Potiphar's wife got the wandering eye. And so she took an unhealthy interest in Joseph, and she attempted to seduce him, trying to get him to have sex with her. It's an um, ancient hashtag me too situation. <laughs> Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. He, he had responsibility, but he had no power. The power was with Potiphar. The power was with Potiphar's wife. So when she, was, when she was trying to get him to sleep with her, the, maybe there was, a, talking to Tessa about this, maybe there was temptation. We know from, the, we know from Genesis that Joseph was good looking, but we don't know what she looked like. Maybe he was tempted, I don't know. Um, but the biggest story is refer, refusing to sleep with her uh, is literally putting his life at risk. They're the ones with the power, are you getting it? They're the ones with the power. If he says no to her, then he's going to get in trouble. And it's a catch-22, right? If he, if he says yes to her, then he's going to get in trouble. Anyway, he doesn't. He, he remains faithful to, uh, to Potiphar, and he remains faithful to the Lord. So he refuses. She accuses him of, of uh, sexual abuse, her, of harassing her, and he's thrown into prison. The Lord was with Joseph when he went into slavery, the Lord was with Joseph when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and the Lord is with Joseph when he is imprisoned for something that he didn't do. It says in Genesis thirty nine twenty one, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. But it doesn't sound like it. Come on. We know the story. We know where it's heading. Well, I'm assuming we do. Some of, some of us might not. But he didn't. He's in jail, and the Lord is with Joseph. Doesn't sound like God is really with him. If God really loved Joseph, then why would he let him get into prison? Why would he let him be sold as a slave? Uh, this is the way we often think. 
I think like this. If you really love me, Lord, then why am I in this stink situation? Why is everything going wrong? If you really love me, then why aren't you doing what I think you should do, Lord of the universe? <laughs> why am I trapped? They are legitimate questions. And I don't know how Joseph dealt with these kind of thoughts. It doesn't talk about it in, in Genesis. I think he must have had them. Like he had these epic dreams that you know, involved his family bowing down to him. His mum and his dad and his brothers. And this must have seemed like an absolute pipe dream. It must have seemed like, that's not going to happen. My destiny is being stuffed up. My destiny is thwarted. But somehow through all of this, he, he somehow maintained a confidence in God. And he, and he still had confidence that God spoke through dreams, which I think is remarkable because so far his dreams hadn't come true. He still had confidence that God spoke through dreams, and he still had confidence that God would interpret the dreams. So that one day, these, other, these two other prisoners, they come to him and they go, Joe, bro, had these dreams. They were intense. And he goes, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Like He had so much confidence that God was with him and that God would interpret dreams and that God spoke through dreams, that he was able to be available in this moment and go, tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. Let's see if God gives us an interpretation. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of circumstances suggesting that God wasn't that interested in Joseph, uh, instead of those circumstances, Joseph still held on to his belief that God was with him, that God had not left him. And so God gave Joseph the interpretation of the two dreams, and these were, these were accurate. One of the prisoners, the cupbearer, uh, he was set free and was restored to his position in Pharaoh's palace. And the other prisoner, the chief baker, was executed. Stink for him. Good for the cupbearer. I think this is because the Pharaoh, he enjoyed his, you know, his, his glass of wine a bit more than his loaf of bread or something like that. I don't know actually why. Anyway, the dreams... Uh, the dreams... They had the dreams, Joseph interpreted the dreams accurately, and these two guys, uh, well, one of them was killed and one of them was, um, was restored to his position. Two years later, two long years later, he's still in prison, he's still in prison. Two years later, Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, and you've got to remember that the Pharaoh is more than just like, well, we don't have a king, more than the queen, more than Queen Elizabeth, um, a king has god-like status he's in some cases was seen as a deity and he had this dream a freaky dream he couldn't understand it and i can imagine the cupbearer coming to him with his morning morning coffee it's a filter coffee because pharaoh has good taste and it's a nice single origin that they've imported all the way from ethiopia i imagine and the cupbearer comes with him. You know, the cupbearer, cup he had to have a taste of it to make sure that it wasn't poisonous, that it wasn't going to kill Pharaoh, and also to make sure it tasted good. And then so he passes it to the boss, and Pharaoh goes, Oh, bro, my cupbearer, my cupbearer, bro, I've had these dreams, these freaky dreams. I had dreams of cows eating other cows. I had dreams about cannibal cows. And that's not the most freaky one. The freakiest one was there's dreams about ears of grain eating other ears of grain. Plants eating plants. And then the, the cupbearer, he goes, oh, I remember now. 
two years ago. There was this guy, this guy who is good at this sort of thing. And this, this is the moment, this is Joseph's moment when all these things come together. This is Joseph's moment. He knows, he's known that God was with him all through the years. He knows that God speaks to him through dreams. God, so they call for Joseph, and Joseph then is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And the dreams mean that uh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of, uh, of famine. It's going to spread across the whole area. So he interprets the dreams, and he also has a strategy for what to do in that situation to enable the kingdom of Egypt to survive the famine. This is the moment with all these strands come together like everything had to take place for this to happen he had to be sold into slavery by his brothers for 20 shekels of silver it says he had to be trafficked to Egypt by the slave traders he had to uh, rise through the ranks as a slave in Potiphar's house he had to be falsely accused of sexual uh, abuse by Potiphar to end up in prison and then rise through the ranks in prison and then interpret the prisoner's dreams. God was with Joseph through all of these inscrutable events, these things that made no sense at the time, so that Joseph could be his agent, his kingdom agent, in uh, the pagan, ungodly nation of Egypt. And so that Egypt would be saved as a result of this guy, this, this desert boy, at the same time as saving Joseph's own family, his parents, his brothers, and all the people descended from Father Abraham, Joseph saved them all by providing food through the seven years of famine. Amazing story. Romans 8.28 And we know, that for all, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This verse could be about Joseph's life. He's 17 years old when he's sold into slavery, and he was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. Seven years, economic boom, everything's going gangbusters. So the land was taxed an extra 20%. They stored up the food to prepare for the famine years. The famine would have begun, I guessing that uh, um, Joseph would have been 37. And it lasted till he was about 43, 44 years old. So there's a few key points that I want to I want to highlight from his life. Destiny. Number one, destiny. Joseph's life story speaks to us today because if we name Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are the sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the living God, and we are free to bring life and hope and peace and salvation to the places where we are placed now, where we are placed now, transforming communities and cities through who we are and who God is. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us on Sunday morning, God with us on Monday morning. Joseph could not have predicted the way that he'd, that he'd end up saving his family and Egypt from the famine, but he knew something. He knew that something big was up. Like he had these freaky dreams. He knew something big was up, but he couldn't have figured it out. The way that it all came about was through through integrity. He had integrity, and he had remained faithful to the Lord, and he was available to the Lord in uh, all these situations. In every moment 
somehow Joseph was able to still put his best foot forward. When everything in it, everything within me at least, would have been like, ah, oh, I'd just give up. He was able to put his best foot forward when he was a slave, when he was a prisoner, and when he was serving as the king of Egypt's to IC, his second in charge. And it's amazing because it says that uh, all these, in all these situations, so in Potiphar's house and uh, in the nation of Egypt, they, they benefited from, from um, the fact that God was with Joseph. And this is amazing. For Christians, God is not only with us, he is in us. He is in us. And the, what does this mean for our workplaces? What does this mean for all the situations and places that we're in? What does this mean for our schools, our families, for Trade Kitchen? I reckon this means that the places that we are placed can benefit simply by having us there. People, communities, organizations, environments, and more can be blessed. I reckon that one thing this has been hot on my heart, big on my heart, to dream big, to dream, to dream wide and trust God, even when things don't go to plan, or don't go to our plans at least. Okay, that's point number one, destiny. Hold on to that for the moment. Number two, good news for the trapped. Do you feel trapped? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel like you're in situations or environments that you can't escape, you can't see a way out of? Does it seem like God has left the building or maybe God never entered the building in the first place? Does it feel like dreams that you've had for your life are being thwarted, are being stuffed up? (laughs) Joseph, he's thrown into a pit to start with. He's sold into slavery. He's made a prisoner. He was trapped, physically trapped. But with him was God who is absolutely free, eternally free. The Apostle Paul, arrested three times. And we have these books, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. They were were letters that, that Paul wrote from prison. We wouldn't have them if he wasn't in prison. 2,000 years later, they still speak to us because he was in prison, right? Jesus. Jesus. Pinned with nails through his hands and his feet to the wood of the cross. Murdered by the ones he'd come to save. And then his lifeless body put into a tomb with a big heavy stone rolled in front. To trap him in there with Roman guards out front to make sure that his body just wasn't pinched. He was trapped, right? Well, his body was trapped. Was it though? Like this, this was the moment that led to Jesus' greatest triumph. He rose again. Death can't stop God. Our situations, our, trap, our feeling of trapped situations, they can't stop God, right? Do you feel trapped? Trapped by sickness. Trapped by the mortgage. Trapped by our job situation. Trapped with bad relationships. Trapped with bad family situations. Something I've been feeling trapped by with, and I, I felt convicted about this yesterday, was about this feeling of, I'm trapped with, I don't have enough time. Lord, I don't have enough time to do what you want me to do. And like somehow thinking that God's plans are going to be thwarted because of my circumstance. 
I don't have enough time. I'm so trapped. But being trapped doesn't stop our God. I want to, ah, I want to say almost in a sense that being trapped, good. <laughs> like this is the moment. This is the moment of God's, of the triumph of the Lord. It doesn't, being trapped doesn't thwart his plans. It's not going to stop his purposes for our lives. Number three, so we've got one, destiny. Two, good news for the trapped. Three, Joseph foreshadowed the saviour of the world. Maybe one of the most astounding things about Joseph is how he forgave and then saved his family. The brothers who wanted him dead, they wanted him dead so much that the next best thing was to sell him into slavery when it, it, towards the end of Genesis, um, Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies, and the brothers freak out. They go, this is what they say, the brothers, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And listen to Joseph's response. He says, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Hey? Hey, what of them dead? Who does this sound like? But Jesus was being crucified, hanging from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. One day, one day God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He'd be sold for pieces of silver. He'd be punished even though he'd done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. That's from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus forgives and Jesus saves. He takes people from lives leading to death and he saves us. He saves, he saves us into lives leading to eternity with God, who is the creator of the universe. Eternity with God doesn't start once we've, um, once we've breathed our last breath. It doesn't start once our heart has stopped beating. It starts the moment that we invite Jesus into our hearts. Then we invite Jesus into our lives and we accept his forgiveness of our sins, which means accepting that we have sinned as well. Accepting his full forgiveness of our sins and submitting to his kingship, his lordship, his beautiful and wonderful lordship over our lives. Jesus takes our brokenness and he heals us. He brings healing and restoration, transformation. And he makes us... He makes us able to live lives of freedom, free to dream again, free to create, free to innovate, free to adventure, free to live lives, free to have joy, hope, and peace, free to bless those around us. Man, that sounds good. It is good. So towards the end of his life, Jacob spoke this blessing over Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his 
bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He's speaking Joseph's identity. He's, he's, <laughs> I've only just realized this. He's just saying what has already happened. Like, Joseph was fruitful. He's a fruitful bough. He, the fruit of his life benefited his family and overflowed the wall, right, to bless the entire nation of Egypt. The fruit was food. The fruit was food for the entire nation during the famine. This was his destiny. Archers attacked him. It says, archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife accused him, falsely accused him. Archers attacked him, shot at him. Yet his, yet his bow, yet his bow, <laughs> that's really tough, isn't it? Bow and bow remain unmoved. He remained faithful to God. Like, okay, his, his bow remained unmoved. He was faithful to God and he was confident in God. His arms were made agile. He was equipped and made ready for the things that God had for him to do. Ready to interpret dreams. The mighty one of Jacob was always with Joseph. God is always with us. Um, he was equipped and made ready by God. Like, there's the dream bit. He, he was able to interpret dreams through, through the work of the Spirit. It says the Spirit of the Spirit of the Lord is with Joseph. That's how he interpreted dreams. But the next bit was his strategy for saving the nation. Right? This is... This is who God had made Joseph to be, this man who would be, after 13 years, I think this is insane, 13 years of being a slave and then a prisoner, then he steps into being second in charge of Egypt and somehow is able to be confident in that position to lead the nation through seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now think about that. Think about how much baggage he had to, had to step out of He's a slave and then a prisoner in order to have the confidence and boldness that he needed to go to people, farmers, and go, this, we've got seven years of good stuff going on, but then there's going to be seven years of stink stuff. We need, we need 20% of the produce of your land. I'm sure that they weren't stoked to hear that. All right. God equipped him. Jesus says to us, Jesus came, to, came and said to them, this is speaking to the disciples, he's speaking to us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord was always with Joseph. Jesus is always with us. Jesus our Lord is always with us. The Lord uh, had a destiny for Joseph to be second in charge over Israel. The Lord has given us his authority to be his two ICs, his second in charge charges here in Wellington, uh, in New Zealand. Some of you are from overseas in Northern Ireland, uh, Hawaii. All right. Second in charge to the Lord of the universe. Oh my goodness. And that's all I've got to say about that. 
Uh, Father, oh man, I, I feel like this is, a, this is something that uh, we, can, we can take it and we can run with it if, if we choose to. The Lord is, uh, he's planted this church to be a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring branches, with branches that run over the wall. Fruitful within our family, fruitful within our church, bringing that blessing to within the church, being a blessing outside of our walls to uh, those on the streets of Wellington, to those in our workplaces, our schools and communities, our the wider communities, the family. Do you know, so this, I'm going to finish with this. Um, this verse uh, came out in uh, Rosemary and Graham's um, home group a couple of months ago. They felt that it was a word of the Lord for the church. I read it and I thought, man, that does sound like a word of the Lord for the church about overflow. I was up at a vineyard leaders, national vineyard leaders event a couple of weeks ago. And this guy who was not from the vineyard, he stood up on the Tuesday night and he, and he said, uh, I talked about vineyard going into a new season. And he goes, pulls up Genesis 49, 22. And he read the same verse. I was like, it's, it's an obscure bit of the Bible. And you're, calling, and you're saying the same thing. So the point is, it's not just our church. It's our whole, it's our whole vineyard church movement in New Zealand. Ah, oh, isn't that exciting? And it's... It's, it's, a, it's a prophetic declaration of, of things to come, but also of our identity right now. It's not that, we, that we, we're trying to be something, something else. It's saying, this is who we are, a fruitful bough. Good. Amen.